Thanks for checking out the Anchor Faith Message Podcast from St. Augustine, Florida. Now enjoy this message. I want to talk to you about hearing the voice of God, okay? But I want to kind of put it at an angle that's going to help us a little bit because have you ever noticed that it seems within the realm of the church body, and I'm talking to church folk, okay? I'm not talking to the lost. I'm talking to church people. Tonight's message is for those who are born again, all right? Have you noticed that if you get around people who are born again, we are okay with not hearing the same thing from God? We're okay with it. We're okay with you hearing God something and me hearing God something, and it may be different, and we're okay with that. Now, I'm going to tell you, there are some things in the Word that we should not be okay with that. It it should not be okay. It's not okay for a born-again believer to say, it's okay that you believe being filled with the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongues is for you, but I don't. That's unacceptable. Because there are things that God is saying to his children that are not holding his children from benefits. Things that are rights they have. The Holy Ghost's responsibility as the teacher is to teach all of God's children kingdom truths. Period. So there are things, again, it is not okay for one believer to say, well, you believe that you're healed, but I believe that God put sickness on us. That's unacceptable. And to make this statement, well, it's okay to agree to disagree, is not acceptable. Because someone is agreeing to be rebellious to God's truth. And say God is saying something he's not saying. Are you hearing me? So there are some things that the voice of God is not saying different to someone else. But tonight I'm going to show you when God is saying something different. Because we also develop an error in thinking God will say the same thing concerning certain situations to everyone, and he does not. His benefits To his children, what is afforded to you as a believer in Christ, he's saying the same thing. But situationally in your life, he may not say things, and we're going to see why he would say one thing to one person and one to another. All right? Now, in order for us to set this up, let's look at a few scriptures here. First, it's Matthew 11, 15. Okay? Because here's the thing, guys and ladies. As we continue down the path of um, the last of the last days, where there will be more and more people deceived and being deceived, and the love, the agape, the God kind of love of believers growing cold because of lawlessness. We're going to need to understand why certain church groups are responding one way, And some are responding another way. 
and why God could have said that to that church. Okay? Could have said that to that church. Are you hearing me? Now, God is not saying again to, the, to a church, you can't be healed. He's not saying that. He's not saying to a church, you can't walk in the joy of God, casting all your cares and never have anxiety or worry. He's never saying that. He's not telling a church, you worry about what's going on in the world, you guys don't worry. Right? Because when you learn that you're not supposed to worry and that the Bible says to cast all your cares on the Lord, be anxious for... That is not for a select group. That is for the body of Christ, period. Healing's for the body of Christ. Being endued with power, uh, being baptized in the Spirit is, is for the body of Christ. The body of Christ is to grow up. Right? And we are to grow up in the things of God. Okay. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 15, it says this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the key to this verse is the word to. Because what he's not saying is he who has ears that hear. It's not ears that hear. It's ears to hear. To hear. So what that tells us is that all of us in this room actually have ears. Right? And that means when I'm communicating, whether through voice or through fingers, we are hearing what I'm saying. But are you, do you have ears to hear what I'm saying? You know as well as I do, many of us have gotten in situations or in places where a lot of things are being uh, caught by our ears, but we're not tuned in to those things. A lot of times we call it white noise. You understand, I mean... And I'm really terrible at this. You know, if something's on the TV that I've gotten very zoned into, I'll have ears to hear that movie. Which means then when my wife has, is talking to me and my ears are hearing her, I do not have ears to hear her voice, but the movie that I am currently engrossed in. Right? And typically, it, it begins to sound like this because my wife will get my ears to hear, right? She'll say, Earl, 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 hey, you know, what, right? Are you listening to me? No, I was not. Now, she may have been talking for the last 60 seconds, and my ears heard her, but I didn't have an ear to hear her because I was too focused there. Now, how many of you have done this because this has happened without even sound? without even audible sound. Someone is talking to you and you're hearing them in your ears, but then you get a text. And you open it up while they're talking. Come on now. And you start to read that text and now you have no ears to hear the voice in the room, but you're only hearing your own voice inside your head that is not audible, read the text, and you have no ears to hear the actual audible voice in the room anymore. Has that happened to anybody? Yep, happened to me. My wife's like, did you just hear what I said? Why are you reading that? 
I mean, I'm talking, <laughs> right? Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. That was wrong of me. You have to throw the phone across the room, right? Please don't text me when my wife's calling. That's what I'm asking you, <laughs> talking to me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you have to have ears to hear, right? Which tells us then not everything we're hearing is being received as it's being given. In this room, we have quite a few pairs of ears, which means everything I speak tonight will have an issue, not with what I say, but how you hear. Because how you hear is going to be filtered through you. In any given moment, if you ever get offended with me, then how you hear me preach. I've had people come in that never heard me preach before, new to the church. I preach a message. The Holy Ghost moves in their life. Like, I've never heard. This is the most powerful thing. You know, it's like you, you are the best preacher on the face of the planet. But then they stay long enough to get offended. Now, all of a sudden, the same voice with the same revelation, the same anointing isn't received through those same ears the same way anymore. Or you are like, God, man, I hear God. I mean, God is speaking. I love the way you preach. I mean, it's so real. It's ministering to my life. And then God gets to that section in your life you've never dealt with. And it's the same revelation, same passion, and all of a sudden the ears start to lock up and say, I don't want to hear that. That means I can't be a victim anymore. That means I can't hold on to my past anymore. That means I can't use that as an excuse anymore. So now all of a sudden, what we hear is different. Somebody walking, I said, well, man, that was such a powerful message. Somebody else is like, I hated it. You know, you know what he's talking about. <laughs> well, you don't know what you're hearing about. See, I'm filtering through everyone's paradigm shift. If you have a paradigm that all pastors are there just to take your money, then anytime I preach about money, that's the only way you'll hear it. It's the only way you'll hear it. Now, that ain't going to stop me from preaching on it, but that's the only way you hear it. If you were ever abused by a pastor, that's the only way you hear it. If you've only been abused by a father, anytime you hear Father God, you'll think of him that way. So what I say is then interpreted through your paradigm. This is why Jesus said, repent. Change your thinking. Quit allowing what I say to go through your mind that way. That's why Jesus' Sermon on the Mount sounded like this. You've heard the ancients say, but I say to you, you got it all wrong. The way you heard it wasn't the right way to hear it. Because you know what you heard. And then he goes and throws things down. You heard thou shalt not, but I say unto you, we started to deal. It wasn't about you physically not doing something. It's about the motive of your heart because if you already got it in your heart, it's like you done it. And that's like crazy hearing for someone who's prided themselves to never have acted on, but yet in their heart wants it all the time. The sin they're physically or outwardly portraying they're not doing. This is why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you a bunch of whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look all clean, but you're full of dead man bones. Are you hearing me? Okay. <laughs> so he who has ears to hear, 
So you have to come in every time to service and be intentional. Believe you me, I have to be intentional. I have to be intentional when I study, but I have to definitely be intentional when I'm hearing because when you preach as much as I have and studied as much as I have and been in places as much as I have, you can sit down and begin to hear. And if it doesn't come out a way you think it could come out, you could miss. And I will arrest myself. Nope. Nope. You're going to get something out of this. You're not here critiquing. You're not here, uh, uh, try, you know, you're not, you're, all you want, just get, give me a, God, give me a word. You got to keep yourself in these, these positions. You got to rest yourself, especially when you come across scriptures that you've heard often or a story you've heard again. And Kenneth E. Hagin, he's told the same stories over and over and over and over. I mean, you could quote some of them if you, if you listen to his ministry enough. But if you don't watch out, the minute he goes to one, you can go, hmm. And you no longer have ears to hear, although you're hearing. So how do we know this is supported? If you go a couple chapters over in Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 to 23. Let me just read it real quick. You know it. Hearing then, hear then the parable of the sower. Uh, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom the seed was sown beside the road. And the one of, on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no, root, uh, no firm root in himself, but is, on, is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soul, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who, in, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. So again, what this tells us is that this describes the condition of the man's heart by which he is the paradigm by which he's hearing. And notice the word brings persecution. Right? The word delivers, sets you free, but persecution comes because of the word. And if you don't get rooted in it, then you'll allow the trouble and the persecution to talk louder and you'll abandon it. Because you'll want to stay associated to the problem instead of the word that gets you out of the problem. You'll abandon the word to try to get out of the problem. But that just means you'll get into more perpetual problems. And then the one that's sown among the thorns, here's a couple people. Here are the people who worry about everything. They're always worried. Like, uh, how are we going to get asked? Well, I, every, doesn't matter the words there. That worry chokes it out every doggone time. And you got it, but you won't let it bear fruit because of how you're hearing. Or you have, you know, the deceitfulness of wealth which in one sense, the Bible says it's the lust of money that is the root of all evil. And so what it is, is it's about making it on your own. And when you have, in essence, selfish ambition, 
When you hear the word, you're always trying to manipulate the word to get you ahead. And it's unfruitful. It's unfruitful. I was talking with uh, my creative team uh, not too long ago. I'm going to preach a message on this. But here's the thing. As long as selfish ambition is a part of you, you are always subject to deception. If you have any selfish ambition, you will be deceived. Period. Can't avoid it. Jesus, his greatest modeling to us was selflessness. This is why he couldn't be deceived. Because his life was not his own. It wasn't about doing great works. It was not about being known as the greatest prophet. It was never about that. It was only about, I only do the will of my Father. That's it. We'll preach that at length. That's a nugget. So we see then it's how we hear will determine things in our lives. Okay? And if we do not allow the word to change us like the good soil, meaning we're going to yield to it, we're hearing it, we want to hear it, we want to be transformed by it, then any natural deficiencies or things that would hinder the word from producing fruit, we get rid of it. We get rid of it. When we realize, I got to change the way I think about that. Now, that thought is actually against God's word. That behavior is actually against God's word. That way of acting is against God's word. I'm going to have to stop that. I'm going to stop that. I'm going to yield to the word and let it produce that fruit in my life. And if you do not do that, it will put you in positions where God will have to say something to you different. Look at Mark chapter 7, verse 6. It says this. Mark chapter 7, verse 6 says, And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And when he says hypocrites, he's talking to religious people, keepers of the law, knowers of the word by word, but not in heart. So they hear the word, but their life is not modeling it. That's why Jesus told the crowd. He said, do what the Pharisees say, just don't do what they do. Don't model their lifestyle, but model the words they say. See, they don't keep the words they say, but the words they say is true. Okay? And the reason why the Pharisees struggled is because they had Selfish ambition. They had different motives. So when they heard the word, they manipulated it to their situation. And then they would modify the word so that it would fit their cause. And it made them unfruitful and the most targeted group by Jesus. The most targeted group by Jesus. All right? So Jesus obviously, again, just in a type and shadow, we see then Jesus Christ 
had a word for the Pharisees, but had a word for the general crowd sounded different. He didn't speak to them the same. Now, the promises and the blessings and the, the, the lifestyle of, of God's kingdom reign could be for both. But how he spoke to them were different based upon their hearing. And based upon the hearing they have and how they were um, living what they heard. Now, turn over to Judges chapter 6. Uh, I've ministered out of this passage in the realm of leadership before. I've focused primarily on um, Gideon. But today, we're going to focus on the nation. All right? We're going to focus on the nation. Out of this passage of Scripture, I have ministered a message called the fearless leader. Becoming a fearless leader. Okay? Uh, but we're going to focus on the nation. And so here in Judges chapter 6, to set context, it says this. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. What did the sons of Israel do? Evil. Some evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them, gave them into the hands of the Midians seven years. Why did God give them into the hands of the Midians for seven years? Because they did evil. Not to teach them a lesson. Not to test them. Okay, so long we have clarity. Verse 2, the power of the Midian prevailed against Israel because uh, of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves uh, the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds for it was when Israel was, had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in like locusts for numbers. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. What they do? Cried to the Lord. And now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet. All right, because again, in the old covenant, in order to hear the voice of God, it had to come through someone because they were not born of God. They couldn't personally tap into the spirit of God speaking to them personally. God had to send someone. So he sent a prophet. Now, when he sends a prophet, this prophet has God's voice. So in this context, you got to understand when we talk like this, this is God speaking to them. Because in this dispensation, this is how God spoke. So it's not a disadvantage, it's how God spoke. So when the prophet spoke, it was at, they had the revelation. Okay. It's not like they did not understand that's God. You got to understand this. This is not, well, I don't know if I believe him. I mean, they knew that was the man of God. And they were confronted with a word from God that at that point they had to choose whether to yield to or not. Okay? So uh, the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel and said to them, look what he said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, it was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. 
I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I say to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not, what? Fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But, but you have not obeyed me. And that was God's word to the nation. Now, is this God's will for the nation? No, but it is God's word to the nation. And why has God got an issue with the nation? They're doing evil, right? Well, why are they doing evil? Jesus tells, the Lord tells at the end, what is the last statement? You have not obeyed me. When you do not obey God, guess what you're doing? What did the Lord tell him? Do not fear the gods of the Amorites. But they feared them. Meaning, not like being afraid, afraid. They worshiped them. They began to honor them. They began to worship them instead of him. And that was evil in the sight of God. And he said, what? You've not obeyed me. But now, is it God's heart to deliver? Well, let's keep on reading. Jump down to verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O violent, uh, uh, valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened? And where are all his miracles which our father told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of hand of Midian. Now, you know what this tells us? This means Midian, uh, Gideon didn't come to the prophet meeting. Because if he had been at the meeting where the prophet showed up, he would have known something else. But God reveals his will. What's he say? He said, the Lord looked at him, right, and said, go. In this, in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian, have I not sent you? Now, if you read the rest of the chapter 6, we understand that Gideon's got his own problems. He's got his own challenges that God has to deal with. And then I'm not here to deal with Gideon, but Gideon deals with his problem. His problem is that he's afraid. He's fearful. And the Lord's having to drive fear from him. Meaning, you got to let him know, you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid. I mean, this is a recurring event that God says throughout the whole Testament. Do not be afraid. Be strong and very courageous. Do not be, a and he's saying it in the new covenant. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Jesus, do not be afraid. Yet, we get world events taking place. Now, is God telling some groups, you should be afraid of this? If God consistently says, do not be afraid throughout Scripture, then will there ever be a time that a group of his kids, he'll say, you need to be afraid. And other group, he'll say, don't be afraid. No. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't those that are afraid. And being afraid isn't a problem if you'll deal with your fear. 
Being afraid is a problem if you will not deal with your fear. That's a problem. How do we know? Because obviously Gideon goes through some tests, starts to conquer fear, right? And then he's like, I need to know that I know I heard God again. <laughs> and he does the whole fleece thing. We don't do fleeces in the new covenant because we have the Holy Ghost in us. Do not lay your rug outside like Gideon. You have the third person of the Godhead. You do not need to see a mat wet and the ground dry. The devil will accommodate those signs for you in the new covenant. Because that's being led by sight. In the old covenant, they had to have that. In the new covenant, if you start doing that, you're subjecting yourself to deception. Lord, I just need a confirmation. If you can't get a confirmation in your spirit, you need to fine-tune being able to hear the Holy Ghost. I won't tell you that God won't confirm it with natural things. But I don't go around looking for the natural confirmation to confirm my inner witness. I have the Holy Spirit on the inside. And we are to be led by the, not by some external sign to confirm an internal hearing. But in Gideon's day, he had to do it. Then we get to verse, to chapter 7. Now in chapter 7 then, um, obviously Gideon has done enough that he has told the nation what God has said to him. How do we know this? Because he assembles 32,000 people. 32,000 people get behind what Gideon said. And you know what Gideon said? Gideon said, the angel showed up at my place. And this is what he told me. And I honestly, at first, I didn't believe it. But it was an angel. And then he told me to do things, and I did them, and it worked. And then just to make sure before I got you guys involved, I had him do a sign two different occasions to let everything be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And I'm telling you right now, God is with me and he wants to deliver our nation like he did back with Egypt. And 32,000 people said, okay. Now, it said the Lord said to Gideon after these 32,000 show up, he said, the people who are with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel boast about themselves against me, saying, my own hand has delivered me. Right? So now proclaim in the ears of the men, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him turn back and depart from Mount... Right? And 22,000, 22,000, a little more than two-thirds of the men returned, but 10,000, right, remained. Well, what do we hear here? What do we learn in this? What do we learn? Why would God tell 22,000 people, go home? First of all, fear will determine what God says to you. Fear will determine what God says to you. Fearful people mask their fear and pride. How do we know this? He said, if I give this many people, y'all go down there and take Midianites? 
Oh, I know where they are. I mean, God knew where they are. Why did he tell Gideon to ask the question? I mean, think about this. Just ask them if they're fearful and trembling. Because God, and, but before that, it says, if I take this group, this group right here, and they go down, and I do the battle and whip it, you know what they're going to say? We did this. Look at us. We so bad. We so tough. Yet all the while, they're so scared. They're so scared. But they can't let you know they're scared. Can't let you know they were scared out of their mind during the middle of the battle. They couldn't let you know that they were freaking out the whole time. Because at the end, they got to come back and save face. They got to make sure nobody didn't know when they were actually hiding in the bush instead of being out in the battle. Yeah, we did it. Woo, we did it. Yeah. Okay. Hallelujah. This is leadership. <laughs> Do we have any leaders in here? Yeah. Y'all need to be lead followers and let's, let's, let's identify. So a person with fear may assemble, though, for the battle, but will never go to battle. Now, how do we know this? David and Goliath. David and Goliath. David's a shepherd boy. He shows up. There are soldiers bigger than him, stronger than him, well, more well-trained than him. And he comes bringing lunch. Not dressed for battle. Dressed as a waiter. He just came out of the field, right? And so he shows up, and the mountain of the man's out there, taunting now, what does all of the nation of Israel have ears to hear? So they filter that message not through God's word, but through Goliath's word and their image of themselves. And it paralyzes them. I said it paralyzes them. And he does this for days. David shows up and he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? See how he heard him? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would defy the armies of God? He's in a church service where thousands of people are attending, and I got one guy like, let's go kill the guy. I got one man hearing the same thing everybody else is hearing, but he hears it through a covenant. He said, who, in, who is this? Notice what he said. Who is this uncircumcised? He heard the man's voice through God's covenant. That man ain't even in covenant. How can an uncovenant guy think he can talk and run off out the mouth like that? What is happening here? You know what, I'm, what is happening here? Just like right now. I mentioned this, I think, Sunday. I'm going to mention it again because it bears repeating. How you hear me is based upon your attentiveness of me. I'm going to come back to that thought process here in a minute. So here David's like, I'll go kill him. And then he's like shocked at the prizes, the rewards. And he's almost like, why is no one moving? So you understand David at that church looks like he's a fanatic. He looks a little strange. A little too much God. I mean, you're taking a little too literal, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, they're taking a little too literal. 
Well, he literally went down and cut the man's head off. He literally went and destroyed the rest of the army. Yeah. Thank God he was literal. Thank God he literally believed what he couldn't see. Hallelujah. Once again, the rest of them are hearing, we ain't going. And honestly, the Lord's like, don't even go. How do I know this? Because a person would, uh, if, if you are a person who will not deal with fear, God will not ask you to go to battle. So God literally could say, you should just stay home. Okay. I mean, why, God, why would God not let these 22,000 go? He going, is he not going to fight it anyway? We know he's going to fight the battle. We know that every battle is ultimately the Lord's. But yet he won't let 22,000 people be a part of the battle, although they'll reap the benefits. Oh. He'll tell the mega church, stay home. Oh, you don't want to hear this. Just stay home, right? I just don't believe the Lord wants us to do anything. Mm, yeah, you're right. I know why he's telling you that. Now, that's not to be demeaning, but I much rather know why God would say something to someone than assume that everyone would get what I'm like. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Let's do this thing, man. What's the problem? Right? And when you're like, what's the problem? And they're like, no. And you're like, what's the? Oh, oh, that's the problem. Okay. Okay. I'm going to get it for you. See, if you're a person who will not deal with fear, God knows you have already lost before you start fighting. Because you're not going to be working with him. You will not work with him. He won't do it. Let me just say it this way. No victory exists where fear is present. <laughs> no victory exists where fear is present. This is why knowing the word is so important. See, if you are not a studier of the word, I cannot stress this enough. If you are not a studier of the word, fear is coming to your life. It's coming. The only way you beat fear down is to know the voice of your king, firmly persuaded, never doubting. It's the only way. It's the only way that you'll say stuff that the rest of the world is saying is saying different. They're like, you crazy. I have heard the voice of my God. I don't know how to hear anything different. I have ears to hear only what he says and to respond only as he says. And it's never by sight. And to a fearful person, you're not going to hear that. You're probably going to hear, you should sit this one out. So on that day, that occasion, 22,000 heard God say, go home. Do not fight. In essence, I'm not even going to give you a word to believe. Oh, man. But 10,000 heard God say, continue towards the battle. 
Well, let's continue on then. Jump down to verse 4. Verse 4 says, The Lord said to Gideon, The men are still too many. Bring them down to the Lord. Now, when God says there are too many, it's not because it's just a numbers issue. It's the heart issue. You got to understand, this is not just about sheer numbers. Notice how God identified the too many because of things going on in their heart. They've all heard God wants to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites, and Gideon's the guy to do it. Although he's never fought a battle, he's only torn down uh, uh, a statue of Baal at, at, you know, in the a.m., when nobody was watching with about 10 guys. And they could, those 10 guys could testify, we did it, man, we did it, we tore it down. And, and it didn't get up and kill us or smote us. You know, they're really nothing. I personally think that the Lord needed them to tear that down because they were afraid of the gods of the Amorites. He need to let them know, you need to know that God can't do nothing to you. That's why he got another name that meant let ba uh, Baal contend with him. His father's like, if Baal's got a problem with him, let him contend. Why are you trying to do his work and kill him? If your God's so tough and he's got a problem with him tearing down one of his statues, let him deal with him, kill him. Guess what? He didn't die, which emboldened the 10 and ultimately, you know, allowed 32 that really hated their suffering. You understand, you can hate your suffering and still be afraid to get out of it. Okay, I'm going to say that again. You can really hate your suffering and really want something to be done about it, but at the end of the day, you can't. Because you're too afraid to deal with your suffering. At the end of the day, 22,000 had to admit, I, I cannot face my enemy. I'm too afraid. I mean, I'm scared to death. You know what? It'd be better for you to be honest that you're scared to death of cancer than to lie about it. You know why it'd be better? Because God's so merciful, he'll say, you sit on the sideline. I'll send somebody that can get it for you. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to be responsible to have to grow and deal with cancer because cancer will show back up. No doubt. Cancer will show up to anyone who's afraid of it. It can do it. You've got to develop where I'm going to deal with fear. I'm not going to let anything intimidate me that keeps me from the promises of God being activated in my life. But God is merciful that if you're honest and say, Lord, I am afraid. This is why God was really honest with the one man. He said when he came to him because he took him to the disciples, his son that was being thrown around by a demon. And he said, man, if you can do anything, the Lord's like, if you can, all things are possible with him who believe. He said, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Thank God for his honesty. I wish believers would be more honest. Now, honesty and knowing facts, we shouldn't stay there. But let's be honest, when I deal with anyone with any sickness and disease, especially if they get a little bit older, I ask the question, where are you? Well, I just believe, I don't care that you believe. Where are you? Where are you? Because everybody in the room can believe God for your healing, but are you thinking about heaven? Because you're thinking about heaven. We're going to have, we're going to have problems. And I've seen many. In fact, just today, a Rhema pastor's wife passed away. Leukemia. Battled it for six months. Okay? The regional director called me, texted me, 
says, man, I didn't know. I look at my call log. We talked about it. I did not realize the severity. I said, here's the problem with the older Rama graduates. They tell us what they believe, but they don't tell us the severity. The reason when you don't tell me the severity, then you don't give me any indication. I might need to do more interceding. Because the more severe it is, the more that talks. So I, I, was, I was very candid with it. Died last night. See, we are way too touchy. When we really should be more walking in the love of God. I said, Pastor, talk me through what happened. Tell me, tell me what happened. He said, well, you know, he went through a few things. He says, you know, she got tired. Many he said that, I knew. And, and his saying it was letting me know, and he was telling me. She got tired. So, got the family together. We had some, you know, worship music going on. We're praying with her. You know, praying for her. You know, just spending time. And it was the most peaceful transition I've ever seen. It was great. They celebrated it. Why? Because at the end of the day, this is not the end, right? At the end of the day, right? <clears throat> what was so powerful about that is that the only reason is because she chose to let this be her moment to go. Not because she couldn't have beat it. Not because it couldn't get off. Not because it won. It's because she, at some point, chose... I'm, you know, I'm tired of fighting this fight. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I was so thankful for that honesty. Because you know how many generations are messed up, so screwed up about God is because they told, I'm believing, I'm believing, then they die. And they're like, well, God didn't heal my. Yeah, there's no documented case that God never not healed. It's better to be honest and say, I'm just ready to go. And you know, there's nothing wrong with being ready to go. Paul wasn't dealing with a, a disease when he was thrown in prison, you know, in the uh, Philippian prison. He says, you know, I'm betwixt between two places, whether to go on and be with the Lord, which is... And I mean, seriously, when you... When some people have lived their life so long and have done so many things for the Lord... Even though, you know, I heard one man of God say, well, just beat the disease and then go ahead and leave. And yes, you could do it that way. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to fault someone that makes a choice to say it's going to be far better for me to go on. And at least be honest about it so that then we know the transition became a willful transition, not a failure of God to perform his word. Not a failure. And hopefully when they do the funeral, they will say, you know, we were there and she chose. I mean, let it, let the, death doesn't have a victory over us. Don't let it have, we chose. I mean, think about it. Jesus left his body because he chose to go. It is finished. Not because death beat him. 
I mean, even though there may be stuff going on in our physical body, you don't beat me, I just choose to leave now. Even though medical examiner is going to say I died because of it, and it was affecting my body. But the word does tell me I could have gotten it off, but where I'm at today in my age, and I'm not going to fault those individuals, and you shouldn't either. But now, you decide on your own then. I mean, if you're 96 and all medical junk's coming against you, you're like, I'm going to live to be 100. Bless God, believe God, and drive on. Because the Lord heals. And I have documented cases of people who, well, you don't want to die by martyrdom. You know, I mean, it can happen, but, you know, you don't want to. But there's documented cases of people who just left their body. They were done. We're done. And it wasn't sickness or disease. I'm finished. We're done. Hallelujah. Y'all all right? Okay. So, um, he said, there's still too many. He said, bring them down to the water, and I'll test them for you there. And of whom I say to you, this man shall go with you, shall go with you. And he whom I say to you, this man shall not go with you, shall not go. So, God's going to have two different words for two different people. But Why? So he brought the men down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps up the water with his tongue as a dog laps it, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who bows down on his knees to drink, um, and the number of those who lap, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with with the 300 men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hands. So let all the other people go, each man to his home. So what does that look like? Those individuals got down like this and was doing this with the water, right? The other ones did this, okay? So that's the two postures, so you understand, okay? So what, what do we learn out of this concerning why God would say something different to somebody? Well, tests will determine what God says to you. Fear will determine what God says to you. And tests will determine what God says to you. If you're a person who lacks attention, God knows, uh, God knows the results uh, will be the potential of you hurting other people in battle. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's the position. Right? I mean, the Midianites are on the other side of the valley. I mean, by all rights, we're in war. We just hadn't made it to the front lines. And I've got, out of 10,000 people, 9,700 are paying no attention People who spend more time on their phones while I'm preaching are paying no attention. They're paying no attention. Where's checking in? Your head's buried and God's trying to prepare you for battle. And you know you're not having ears to hear because you're reading your text threads or your social media threads or your notification threads, and even though my voice is in the room, it's white noise at that moment. 
So when you try to re-engage thinking, these guys were like, You've missed a lot. <laughs> I have a boxer. <laughs> and by boxer, because when she was born, she had a challenge in her nostrils. They didn't, wasn't opened all the way. I remember one time, um, uh, um, Brian and Cheyenne's boxer they have, his name's Indy. And um, I had both of these two dogs at one time. And so um, Indy was the stronger dog. Tybee was the runt and most medically challenged dog we had. She's healthy now, but she had problems. Anyway, Marsh would be at the end of the road at the other house we used to live, and she would like unhook them, and I would like, right? And they would fly, and Indy would just like run up to the house, you know, yeah. So then I get out there, and I'm like, come on, Tybee, and she's like, going real fast, got up to the house, and then went, and fell out. She passed out because she couldn't breathe because her airways. I'm like, thank God Marcy didn't see this. I'm like, we killed the dog. <laughs> but she came around, you know. Anyway, she ended up getting this, like, blood blister on her nostrils, and we had it cut off. Later to find out, Benadryl gets rid of it. She got another one on her paw, and the, and the vet said, we're going to have to probably cut her toe off. I'm like, man, it stinks. And Marcy heard the Holy Ghost. He goes, I'm going to give her some Benadryl. Gave her Benadryl, and it dried up. And anytime she gets another one, give her Benadryl. I can save you a lot of money if your dog gets like these blood viscers, these hemotobin, whatever they're called. Benadryl. Dried up. It's crazy. Anyway, we didn't know that in the first one, <laughs> so we had it cut out. While they were doing surgery, we said, clip her, you know, the nostril so she can get a good airway. When, as, a, as a pup, because she couldn't breathe, when she drinks water, she puts her whole face in. It's like buried to her eyeballs, and she drinks the whole thing. Why? Because she couldn't breathe anyway, really, so she would just drink that way. <laughs> to this day, she still does that, although technically she could snort up some water, um, but that's how she was trained earlier, right? That's what these people are doing, okay? So they are lacking attention. See, when you go into battle, if you can't pay attention... So here's, here's the problem. If you accept HDHD, what is ADHD? So, you know, so many acronyms today. <laughs> Attention deficit disorder or hyper disorder, right? If you accept that about yourself and give yourself the excuse to not be able to pay attention, then God may talk to you different when it comes to a faith battle. Because you're not going to stay focused on the Word. I'm going to tell you right now, seriously, it, uh, we used to say that in the youth ministry all the time, I, uh, I, when I was a youth pastor, I said, if you can't come to service and not hold your girlfriend or boyfriend's hand while we're supposed to be hearing from God and experience, then you probably should reconsider the relationship because you have an idol. Same thing, if you can't come in here without looking at your phone somewhere other than the Bible app and taking notes, you probably should reconsider bringing it into the service, right? At the end of the day, if it becomes a, 
a weight or a stumbling block or it hinders your attention because you know as well as I do, it is creating a, a, a bit of a attention issue with us. I mean, just go ahead and do it tomorrow. Literally count how many times you pick up your phone to look at something. Just do it. And, you'll re and again, can you curb it? Yes. Can you fix it? Yes. But you're going to have to discipline yourself. But I can tell you right now, if those things are in your life, God knows ultimately you're going to hurt somebody because you're not paying attention. The next thing we learn as a result of this is if a person will lay aside their weapon of warfare for self-preservation, God knows once the battle gets heavy, they're going to run. I mean, think about it. They're going to war. I mean, to get in this position, you've got to get all your stuff off. You've got to, like, get it out of the way so you can, because I'm thirsty. This is about me. This ain't about everyone around me now. See, a person is only worried about personally. This is why I hate that we have been preaching a personal relationship with Jesus. Not that we don't have a personal one, like I'm one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, I can have my communion. But to act like no one else in the body of Christ matters. Then God's probably going to talk to you different when it comes to the battle. Because at the end of the day, all you are fighting a faith is for your preservation, not for your brother over here. That, and God literally will say, you should probably go home. Now again, all 32,000 plus the ones who didn't attend are going to reap the benefit of the victory. But make no mistake. The victory is won because 300 were qualified for God to say, I'll use you. Not because God wouldn't want to use. Not because it's not his. He fulfills his original will to get in in the, in the cellar, in the basement. I'll use you to deliver. Go. And I'm going to take these 300 because out of the tests now. I only got 300 passed the test. If you fail tests, God talked to you different. I want to do something for God. Then you got to pass some tests. So what happens? Test comes at um, family worship center. You don't pass it. You leave it. So then you go over to Anastasia Baptist. Well, you failed that test. So then you go over to um, um, Good News Church, wherever it's at, right? You go to um, uh, Colonial. You go to Homeport. You go to the Lutheran Church downtown. All the while, you want to be used to God, but you keep failing all the tests. And you come to Anchor Faith Church, then you're going to be a giant killer. Same test going to show up. And then you leave us and go to the next one. Now, the, the trend is, is you talk about all of us when you go to the next one. <laughs> but let me say it this way. 22,000 assemble, and they're fearful. 9,700 assemble, and they fail tests. 
but they get the benefit of the victory of a place that will believe God. And the ones that are believing God and pass the test and are not afraid aren't against the 22 or the 10, but they're wise enough to know that's why God didn't send them. And I don't want to be the one that God can't send. So when I'm out and about in the community and people are like, oh, no, I couldn't do that in this situation. You go, oh, you're one of the 22. Okay. I get it. I understand why God would say that. Instead of saying, God wouldn't say that. God wants you to do this. I mean, God ultimately wants his promises to come to pass. But some are never going to get it in that capacity. They're only going to be able to reap it from the ones who come out of fear and pass tests. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, ultimately, if you don't get it together, you're going to die. Can I just say that? I mean, ultimately, there's a lot of people who died because they never dealt. They never passed a test. They never got out of fear. They only got conquered. So... If you're a person who chooses a self-centered position in an approaching conflict, God knows you'll give up instead of finishing. And that kind of position is self-centered. It ain't thinking about nobody else. And God's not going to say, hey, I want you to come and help conquer this. Well, you're self-centered. This is all about you and what you can get. And when it gets when, you get, when the whole group has to come together and start believing, you're going to quit. You're going to abandon this thing. You're not going to finish. So, you know, you should go home. Notice God will not use the fearful and the ones who failed the test in the battle. He won't use them. Does he love them? Yes. But he won't use them. He won't use them. They admit they're afraid. And they really don't. They, they love the idea. But man, I'm, I'm scared out of my mind. Then don't come. This is how merciful God is. Because God don't want you to get in a battle. You're going to die now. And all the while saying you're fighting for the Lord. Because we sing it. He's never lost a battle. <laughs> By all rights, you think he would have with the town of Ai. They conquered Jericho, send a little small group, you know, over into Ai and get their bus whipped. Like the Lord lost. No, the Lord didn't lose. The nation failed. One man failed, but it cost the whole. It cost a whole nation. It cost some thirty-seven men's lives. I think it was. Wow. Horrible. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because again, when you hear that, you're thinking, "Oh man, AI admitted it. Why they why they kill him? He was a murderer. He murdered thirty-seven people." Okay. Hallelujah. Fearful people, let me say it this way, 97 heard God say go home that day, but 300 heard continue to the battle. 
Fearful people and people who fail the test will hear something different from those who are fearless and tested. He's definitely going to talk different. Now, his will for them both is the same. This is why you can't judge every global situation globally from a national perspective in different nations or from our nation and think everybody should respond this way. Because, listen, by all rights, 22,000 says, God told us to go home. Why are you not at the house? God told us to go home. God did tell you to go home. Why? That's the thing you're not asking. It's the thing we don't ask. Why is God telling me this? See, we just assume because we heard God, that's God's best. No. We assume because God said, now you need to stay to the house. Man, he doesn't even want me to engage this. Okay, well, praise the Lord. How come I can't engage? Wait a minute. Is there a problem with me, Lord, that would hinder me from getting involved here? Because if there's a problem, we need to talk about that. I need to get something corrected. 22,000. Then the 22,000 get more confirmation that they heard right. Because 9,700 show up and go, the Lord told us to go home. I told you. I mean, we heard God on the service. He said, go home. I don't understand why y'all kept moving. Well, y'all are crazy. Why do you keep moving towards it? He said, go home. Well, who stayed? Man, there's 300 crazy people didn't come. They're idiots. Don't they understand the majority is responding this way? The Lord says, okay, you 300, I can take you. I'm not mad at them. I love them. And they're going to reap the benefit. But you're fearless. And you've been tested. You're attentive. You're not about yourself. You're here for the nation. You're here for the vision. You're here for the whole common good. And I'm going to use you. And you know what the part, they, all they played was a bunch of lamp breakers. At the end of the day, all they did was break lamps. All right, 100, you go here, 100, go here, 100, go there. All right, I'm going to stay here because it's 301, Gideon. And the Lord says, just break the lamps. <laughs> he says, we bad. <laughs> break the lamps, right? Blow a bunch of trumpets or whatever. Woo, ah! And then they kill themselves. And then they go and just become carriers of the spoil. But he had to find a group. Listen, this is how bad they, the whole nation was in fear. That he had to find a group that could at least be bold enough to break lamps. Why? So that the minute they saw the actual enemy, 
in the numbers on that scale. Because you understand when it came and invaded, they came with camels without numbers, but still they're, they're hitting people. People are in their homes. They're getting the group that shows up there. They're not seeing the vast of them going, combing the whole land. Now they're all laid out in the valley, and you're like, wow, that's the enemy. And then when you're looking around at each other as 300, like, where in the world is the rest of those guys? Right? We had, I mean, there's 331,700 that should get their butt here right now. <laughs> we need them. The Lord's like, I don't need them. In fact, I can't use them. I want to, but I can't. I got to talk to them differently. But I got the ones who are willing to break. And then be not afraid to go in and trust that I've routed them. And they're not going to pop up. Now, there's no indication that they may not. May they have, maybe they still had to stab a few. You know, maybe there was a couple of stragglers. Doesn't say. Doesn't say. But we know the Lord fought the battle, but he did not do it without 300 fearless and tested people. Are you hearing me? Yes. I said, are you hearing me? Yes. So remember, all knew the Lord wanted to, wanted Israel to be delivered, but only 300 plus Gideon actually delivered them. So as, as, as believers, we need to be not so quick to push our Thus saith the Lord in situations on people. We need to be more like, well, I didn't hear that. Why? Because at the end of the day, I've said this, there are certain situations that churches should respond differently. And it was right that God wanted them to do it a certain way or certain ways. But I'm not talking about truths like God wanted to kill that whole, you know, church with the hurricane. He did not want to do that. It was not his will. Okay? But there are cases where certain churches are going to inform their congregation, we should respond to the hurricane this way. And then others may say, we're going to do this. We're going to talk to it. Right? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you and we honor you. You're good God. You're a good God. Hallelujah. May we hear the voice of God so that the conclusion is he was saying ultimately, I can use you. If he's not, then let us get to the place we can. Which brings me back to David and Goliath. The majority said, we ain't got nobody. We can't do this. We're not going to be able to do this. But one guy says, who is? And after he cuts that giant's head off, he caused the fear of the rest of the nation to fall away. And they marched behind David to rout the rest of the army.
what am I saying? The 300 God wanted to use to help the other 31,700 to come out of what they were in to be used. Anytime we're hearing something that we knows God's word to bring in the impossible, it's there to empower someone else to believe. I've walked this property so many times saying, Lord, why do you want us to believe for this? And I'll never forget, Lord's like, because I need someone who will let some, all these other ministers know that I still do it today. Amen. I said, I'll believe. What about us acquiring it for us alone? It was about us to be able to stand and say, we believe God. And he's the same miracle-working God today. And that's just in that area. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I'm not going to labor long at all. You just need to get up and come down here right now so we can pray with you because his kingdom's worth getting into. And there's only one word he's saying to humanity, be born again. So if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life by calling on his name, acknowledging that he came to the earth, died on the cross, rose from the grave on the third day, come down here right now and let's pray because this kingdom's too great to beg you to get in. Too great to hang out and beg you. And just like, please, come on. No, get up, come. If something's saying, just act on that, move. Just get up and move. But I'm telling you, if you'll do it, God will do something. If you're here today, you're born again, but you've not been filled with the Holy Spirit and, with, and, been, and have the power of God, how do you know you have, you'll speak in other tongues? Then just get up and come. You're a child of God. Come and get the promises. God is telling you he wants you to have the power. So just come and believe. Just like you got born again, you can come and believe and get the power of God, the baptism of the Spirit of God to come upon you, and you'll speak in the, uh, uh, an unknown tongue. It's just the language of the kingdom. That's all it is. Okay? That's all it is. It's powerful, but that's what it is. So just don't make it complicated. Okay? But if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, get up and come on. Let's do this. If you're a child of God, and you're like, man... In fact, let's just say it this way. As a child of God, ask the Lord. Not now, tonight, before you go to... Lord, is there anything going on in my life that you would have to send me home? Just tell me what it is so I can overcome. Because I want to be able to be used of you. And in these last days, we need fearless, tested believers. That is going to go against the majority of most believers. Most believers. Not counting the world, but most believers. We've got to stand. We've got to believe. We've got to do. We've got to be fearless. Are you hearing me? I said, are you hearing me? Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. 
If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com. Thank you.